Amen. All right, we're going to start with the scripture in Philippians 4.4 today. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. If you go to Philippians 4.5, it does not say, unless you don't feel like it. You will not find that as the next sentence. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say it, rejoice. I love to laugh, I love to tell dumb jokes, I like comedy and stupid humor movies, and sometimes I feel real happiness when I'm out in nature and the beauty strikes me and I can feel something very powerful and sublime. And I think most of you all know what I'm talking about, and music can catch my attention and it relaxes me and puts peace into me and releases emotion, and I feel a really deep happiness when all of our family is at home on a particular night and nobody has anything to do but we can just sit and talk or play games or something where we're all together. But I'm sure that for all of us, joy is not our default gear. Our default gear is something else. It is very easy to feel lonely or sad or stressed or angry It's completely natural to feel self-pity and fear and anxiety and condemnation and rejection. But to rejoice in the Lord always is not easy and it's not natural and it isn't thoughtless. Can I get an amen? amen? It is not a thoughtless thing for us to just be automatically rejoicing all the time. But that's Jesus's command. And we can't do that just by deciding to have a good day. It wasn't easy and natural for David either. You read in the Psalms, you can see David's emotions were all over the map. But in Psalm 42 and 43, he gives us a hint on how he did this. In Psalm 42, he's having a really, really bad day. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. A couple weeks ago, we talked about pouring out our soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Countenance is his face. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, and therefore I will remember you. So David is having a really, really bad day. He said, I've been crying all day and all night for a while, and, and I just, God, I don't feel God's presence, and I, I don't know what's going on, and God, where are you? And then he begins to talk to himself. He talks to his own soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God. I will praise him for the help of his countenance. David says, the help of God's face. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me, but I will remember you. In the next psalm, he repeats this same chorus. These are all songs, remember. He repeats the chorus, but he has one important change. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. So in Psalm 42, he said, God, I need the help of your face. And in Psalm 43, he says, God, you are the help of my face. So he's having a really, really bad day, call it anxiety, depression, fear, worry, lostness, whatever you want to call it. I'm having a really bad day, God. I need to see your face because that's the only thing that's going to help me. 
But then in Psalm 43, what's he say? When I see your face, it helps my face. Right? But your countenance is not your facial features. It is not what you see physically in the mirror. Your countenance is the expression on your face. Your countenance is the scowl or the smile or the panic that's on your face. So David, when he's having a really bad day, says, God, I need to see your smile. I need to see what's on your face because that changes my face. David is telling himself, look at God because that's what's going to make me happy even when I don't feel like it. So I'm here this morning to propose to you that you can and should change your face by faith. Just smile, look at, think about God and smile, laugh, sing, pray, whatever, however you want to express it, but by faith even when, when it's rough. And somebody's going to think, well, Mitch, that's, that's just being fake. Well, you've heard me say many times over the years that faith is living like it's true before it happens. Faith is deciding to be joyful all the time, even on the days I don't feel like it, which is most of them. Faith is living like it's true before it happens. It's a quote here from Misty Edwards, who's a worship leader at IHOP in Kansas City. She says, we express our love to God by resisting emotions that are contrary to his will. We express our love to God by resisting emotions contrary to his will. And that's true. We feel a lot of things that God isn't feeling. And it's faith and it's love and it's worship, actually, to... Say, no, if, if God isn't feeling anxious today, then I don't need to. And I live by faith, I reject my fear, or whatever it may be. When we live by faith in the Spirit of God, it actually ends up being the opposite of our flesh and our feelings. And we find out that it's our feelings that are liars. The world has the phrase, fake it till you make it, and there is some truth in that, because Every skill in life is completely unnatural at first. When you learned how to crawl, when you learned how to walk, those were very unnatural skills. You had to practice over and over again. Learning to use a spoon was totally unnatural to you. Your natural easy way was to just smash your fingers in the food and wipe it all over your face and your mom thought it was cute and took a picture learning your times tables, and learning how to drive. It's all intentional effort to learn anything productive and good. Well, it takes absolutely no effort to be unhappy. That's the natural state, our default gear, is to just be unhappy, sad, fearful, angry. It takes intentional effort and practice to be content, to be thankful, to be happy. And practicing something that you don't yet feel or don't yet understand or it isn't natural, like when you learn to walk or drive, practicing that is not being fake. So practicing rejoicing in the Lord always is not being fake, even if you don't feel like it. There are two ways to be fake, and one of them is a lie and one of them is faith. Let's say you're in Walmart or Safeway, and around the corner at the other end of the aisle comes someone that you know, but you really, really do not want to talk to them today. 
Like, dear God, I just do not have it in me. I cannot do this. I don't have the time or I don't have the emotional fortitude today for this. But it's too late. You've already made contact. All right, y'all are smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. We all do this. Uh-huh. So you do not feel like getting in a 10-minute conversation with this person. Like, I'm too busy or I just I don't have it in me today. I, but it's too late. It's going to happen. There's two ways here to be fake. You can just continue on down now. Oh, hi, it's so nice to see you. Lie. <laughs> you don't feel that. You're lying. You're, and oh, how are the kids? And yeah, we had, it's been so long since we've seen each other, and it's great to catch up. That's a fraud. The other thing you can do is, oh, Lord, please forgive me for my selfish attitude. I want to be a blessing to this person, Lord, this is great. I can surrender 10 minutes of my time, and I can love and value this person, and we can have a great conversation. That isn't fake. That's surrender. That's faith. Either way, you still don't feel like it, but one is a lie, and one is die to myself. And so I hope what I'm saying here is that just choosing to be happy, to be cheerful, even when you don't feel like it, is not being a fraud, it is faith. When we do it as David did it, God, I need to see your face so that you can change my face. I don't think that when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, I don't think he means that you have to be shallow and fake and chipper, um, falsely energetic. You don't have to be Tigger, just don't be Eeyore. If you want to be Tigger, you go right ahead. That's great. Yep. You just be Tigger. Tigger's bounce. If you want to be Tigger up here during worship, you just come up and bounce on your tail all you want. But those of you who don't feel like Tigger don't have to be Tigger, but just don't be a downer. Rejoice on purpose by faith. It's a decision to not, to purposely, I'm not going to be a downer. I'm not going to be a complainer, a drain on people. I'm not going to dump my problems on People, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be intentionally pleasant and interactive person. I'm going to be content and thankful and peaceful no matter what's going on in the family or the finances or my health or all these other things. I'm going to encourage other people. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to look at his face and he's going to change my face so that when I'm with family or coworkers or people in the church, I'm smiling because of the Lord, not because of a lie. And I'm going to share the joy of the Lord I'm going to bring people out of their funk instead of bringing them into mine. It's really important. I'm going to bring people out of their funk instead of bringing them into mine. That's not fake. That's just love. It's sacrificial, selfless love. I'm not talking about being immature or silly or goofy. or I'm certainly not talking about moody. But David says, my soul is downcast and disturbed. Those are big words. But I will think about God and that will change my face. So somebody's still thinking, well, isn't that inauthentic? That's hypocrisy, and I want to be authentic. Well, your bad breath and your body odor is the authentic you, but you take a shower and brush your teeth so the rest of us don't get the authentic you. And we're thankful for that. And you may not care or know if you stink, but the rest of us do. And you may be unaware of how offensive your complaining is to other people. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm trying to help you because miserable people repel people and happy people attract people. 
Happy people attract other people. Miserable people repel other people. And I don't want anybody here to be repulsive to anyone else because of complaining or pouting or moping or whatever. Somebody's still thinking, well, I'm an authentic. I'm a real person. And I call it like I see it and I say what I think and I don't hide my true feelings. I'm not going to be fake. Well, no, you're just a baby. Babies tell, tell people exactly what they feel right in the moment. The definition of maturity, the definition of growing up, is that I can put myself aside and take care of someone else. All the parents said, amen. You don't want to get out of bed to feed that baby, but you got to. I don't want to change a 10,000th diaper, but I have to. Right? The baby is the one who's saying exactly what they feel in this moment, and everybody's going to know it. So maturity isn't fake. It's caring about other people enough to not be selfish, not be a downer, not be a powder. Dennis Prager says that happiness is a moral obligation. We're morally obligated to rejoice in the Lord always. Happiness is not a feeling. It's not a psychological state. It's not an emotional state. It is a choice before God and everyone around us. It's a choice. And if there's a choice, that means it's moral. There's a right and a wrong. Any choice, anything where there's choice, there's morality. There's a wrong choice and a right choice. And Ben Dennis Prager said, happiness is a moral obligation. To be chronically unhappy is a sin. I'm adding the word chronically because I know there's days. But you still don't have to ex express it to too many people. But to be chronically unhappy is a sin because that's selfish. It's unloving and it's unthankful. And Dennis Prager says, if you want, need proof of this, ask anyone who was raised by an unhappy parent. And is unhappiness not extremely destructive? Because that parent's unhappiness either resulted in abuse or heavy drinking, or they're always chasing money because they're never content and just happy with life the way it is, or that's adultery and or divorce because we're just not happy. Unhappiness is a sin because it's a choice to be happy. Ask anyone married to an unhappy spouse if happiness is not very destructive. A person that is always complaining, always griping, unpleasable, angry, whatever the word is. But in Psalm 42 and 43, David tells us, he shows us that happiness is almost always a choice. It's almost never our natural feeling. Some days, yes. Some moments, yes. Joy is uncontainable, but usually it is a choice to look at God instead of the circumstances, and certainly some days are easier than others, but in every age of our lifespan, it's a battle to be happy. Teenagers are famous for their angst, but middle-aged people are famous for their midlife crises, and the elderly are famous for complaining about their aches and pains and health problems. At no point is it going to be, well, if after this and this and this get fixed, then I'll be happy the rest of my life. It's not going to be circumstantial. It's always a choice in every season and every day. Psalm 94, 19 is on the screen in two different translations. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. And in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. The same verse, but in two different translations. When anxiety was great, or in the multitude of my anxieties, and then we get God's consolation or his comfort, brings joy and delight. 
Now, reading those verses, when does the joy and the delight happen? When? When anxiety is great. Not after my problems get solved, then I can have great joy. In the multitude of my anxieties, while I'm still in it, I turn to God and the situation hasn't changed, but I can have great joy in a multitude of anxieties. Delight, that's a, that's a pretty big word, delight, while anxiety was great. In all of life, our, the truth is our behavior matters more than our feelings. That's the most important message that Americans need to hear. The younger you are, the more you need to hear this. That your feelings don't matter as much as what you do. Approximately five people care about your feelings and the other seven billion only care how you behave. We live in a feelings-based society and it's destroying us. How do you feel about something as replaced whether it's right or wrong or what we think about it? And feelings are the worst guide to the truth. Don't trust your feelings. They're a roller coaster through the week. Not just up and down, but twisty and upside down and around and sideways and yeah. So Dennis Prager says this, the only happy people that I know are the ones I don't know very well. <laughs> and he means the only naturally, when I think somebody is naturally easily happy, it's because I don't yet know them very well. Because everybody has lived through terrible pain. And if you know anyone that is genuinely happy, it's because they've made a choice to be, not because their life was easy. Dennis Prager says, the only happy people I know are the ones I don't know very well. The more you know a person, the more you know how much pain they've had in their life. The happiest people that you admire, even in this room, there are genuinely happy people. The happiest people that you admire is so loving and kind and happy and content and mature and cheerful. If you think that's just their natural personality, it's because you don't yet know their pain and their heartbreak and their demons. It has absolutely nothing to do with how easy their life's been. So if there is any truly happy people in the world, and there are, if there's anyone who's truly happy, then the rest of us have no excuse at all because their life has not been just easier than ours. We don't have an excuse because we've all been hurt. It's just a choice to rejoice in the Lord always. God wouldn't command it if we couldn't do it. Please hear that. God wouldn't command it if we couldn't do it. I can't just choose to, but I can call on him and I can say, God, I, I have to see your smile right now because I don't have my own. But I see yours and I'll know it's going to be okay and I'll chill out. It's a choice to be an encourager instead of a downer, to genuinely smile and laugh even if your own heart is hurting to get rid of self-pity, never, never, never feel sorry for yourself. It's a trap. Don't be jealous of other people's easy lives. There is no such thing. Behavior is intentional by faith. It's a choice to embrace love and joy and peace because we all have 3 a.m. thoughts from night to night. Your brain at 3 a.m. I can see you're trying to sleep, so I would like to offer you a selection of every memory, unresolved issue, or things you should have said or done today or everything in the last 40 years. 
It's not every night, but we've all lived that night. I see y'all laughing. Hopefully, some of you live that less than others, but you know, you're laughing because you know. You wake up and, oh my. We all have those regrets and fears and past and the future, and so it's just a choice. Am I going to live in faith? And faith equals rejoicing always. We've all had sad feelings and memories. We all fight demons. We have broken hearts. It is just so easy to be unhappy. And it is unnatural to be happy. But it's actually immoral. It is a sin to act how we feel. If I feel sexual temptation for some woman and I want to get her in bed, I can't act on that. It's a sin. If I feel rage, I cannot act on that. It's a sin. If I feel suicidal feelings, I can't act on that. If I feel hate or greed or want to go drain a bottle of alcohol or if it's just laziness, I'm tired this morning and I don't want to get up and go to work. It's a bad mistake. It is always wrong to act how we feel when the feeling is negative, I mean. It's just as faithless and godless to give in to feelings of depression or stress or bitterness or escape fantasy and unhappiness. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Same verse in a different translation, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is God's warning. Don't let your heart, don't let your mind, don't let your feelings get wound up and guard your heart. Guard your heart because it determines everything in your life. I want to say emphatically, very clearly, in all caps, all caps, feelings are not sin. Okay? Feelings are not sin. Temptation is not sin. Giving them expression outside of God's love is. Okay? Feelings are not sin. Temptation is not sin. Giving expression outside of God's love, which is sacrificial and selfless, giving expression outside of God's love, that's where we enter into sin. So I'm not condemning anybody that you struggle with depression or anxiety or fears and, or you have anger issues. I'm not here to say that you should just be able to choose your way out of that. I'm specifically saying our own willpower is not going to fix these things. We have to look at God's face because that's what changes our face. Feelings are not sin. Temptation is not sin. And I'm not telling you to be fake harder. Just pat some fake up on your face and smile and I had it all together. I got it all together. Everything's okay. I don't mean that. There are the right people that you need to talk to. You need to talk to counselor, pastor, friend, grandma, however that works out. But So I'm not telling you that your feelings are wrong. I'm not telling you your temptations are wrong. And I'm certainly not saying to try harder to be fake, to have it all together. I'm just saying Jesus did this successfully and his life is in us. Jesus was the man most acquainted with sorrow. He's the most broken-hearted person in world history. He was tempted in every sin. All of us face various temptations, but no one here is tempted to do all the sins. But Jesus was. So he's the most broken-hearted person in history, and he's the most person under the most pressure of temptation from Satan. 
And did he go around depressed and angry and pouting and complaining? No, he is attractive to billions of people because he's the happiest man alive. He rejoiced in the Lord always, successfully. He was kind. He loved even when he was exhausted. When he tried to get away from people, even for just one night, and the crowds followed him, he had compassion on them. Not even for half a second did he say, can you all please just give me one night off? I know every parent has wanted to say that to your kids. Just go to your room. I have had enough. Jesus never did that. I'm not saying your moms are wrong when you do. I'm just <laughs> when he was on his way somewhere, he was interrupted. When he was lonely, when he's in bloody trauma, on the worst night of his life, his friends abandon him, and he's patient with them. When he's under such stress that his sweat pores are bleeding and his friends leave him in that, he's gentle. He heals one of the men who come to arrest him. He peacefully submits to that arrest and trial and torture. When the guys were punching him in the face, he didn't even scowl at them. He looks at them only with love. When Peter denies him three times from across the courtyard, he says he turns and looks at Peter. And you know that look was love. That look was not rejection or not even disappointment. He doesn't argue or defend himself against the accusations and the lies. As he is wearing a crown of thorns and there is no skin left on his back, you can see his ribs. And there are three nails in his body. He's taking care of his mom. He talks to the thief on the cross about heaven and says, you're going to come with me. If anybody in world history had an excuse to have a bad day, it's Jesus on this day. And what does he do? He gives away faith and joy and love and salvation and healing regardless of how he is feeling physically or emotionally. He's not denying it. He's like, uh, I feel fine. I got it all together. No, he's in misery. But his expression is kindness. And forgiveness and love. If that's faking it, then I need to be more fake. If that's real faith, then I need more faith. There's tremendous pleasure in making someone else happy. When you obey God to rejoice in the Lord always, you will share that joy all around. And joy is about as great a gift as you can give somebody. I said it before, but it's really important. It's really important and beautiful and wonderful and that we bring people out of their funk instead of bringing them into ours. Again, there's the right person at the right time that you do need to talk to to get counsel and comfort and reassurance and encouragement yourself. But for the most part, it should be our goal to rejoice in the Lord always and, and share that in the grocery store and in the church and at the family dinner table. You will make the world a better place when you're intentionally happy. Back to Dennis Prager. He says, the unhappy make the world a worse place. It isn't the happy, content Muslims who are strapping on bombs and blowing themselves up. It's the angry ones. Nazis and Antifa and KKK are not known for their happiness. They're known for hatred and anger. And... It's not the angry Christians that are sharing the gospel and changing the world. They're online arguing with people. 
they're fretting about politics and condemning other denominations and living in fear of the future and too busy chasing stuff that they think will make them happy instead of just being happy and being disciples of Jesus. Angry people make the world a worse place. Happy people make it a better place. And the happy Christians are certainly not pain-free. They have broken hearts too. They battle their own demons. But they have made a choice of faith to rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. Regardless of how they feel or how they're being treated or what battle they might be fighting or what wound may be bleeding. Like David in Psalm 42 and 43, I will be thankful, I will be content, I will laugh, I will smile, I will count my blessings, I will love, I will rejoice in the Lord. So not denying our own feelings and pretending they don't exist, but surrendering to the Lord. I look at his face, we look at his face, and that changes ours. And that's not a fake smile, that's a real, genuine smile selfless, loving smile that cares for the other person and maybe even my enemy. I'm going to leave you at Psalm 103 where David does again this same thing, talking to himself to encourage himself to rejoice. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There he is talking to his soul and he says, praise God. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Here's another strategy. Remind yourself of what God has given you and what he's done for you. Don't forget his benefits. Having a really bad day, I need God, I need to see your face. Start reminding yourself of what he's given you and what he's done for you and what he saved you from. And here's David's list. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. It's David talking to his own soul, praise the Lord and remember what he's done for you. I'm forgiven, I'm healed, I have everything I need. I can rejoice, even on the worst day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your joy. Your joy is our strength. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your smile. Lord, we so desperately need your smile every day. The help of your countenance is the help of my countenance. Lord, we look at your face now. We see your smile and your contentment and your peace. And you're not worried about the future. You're not afraid. You're not regretting the past. All these things we get stuck in. We just look at your smile. And you make us smile. And then no matter what our circumstances, we can share your joy, be an encourager and a blessing to our family, to our coworkers, classmates. Lord, forgive us for complaining, for being discontent, for talking about our problems instead of our blessings. Lord, we truly want to be thankful, peaceful, content joyful people who rejoice always. We need your help, Jesus. We cannot do it just by choosing to, by our own willpower. We must have the help of your countenance. And so we remind ourselves of who you are and all that you've done and all that you've given to us, all that you've taken away from us that was 
bad and all that you've given to us that is good. Thank you, Jesus, for your model, even on the cross, even as you hung on the nails. You continued in selfless love. You weren't a bit fake. You just gave sacrificial love, no matter how you were feeling. We praise you, Jesus. You are awesome. Amen.